from the vast plains of the Central Asian steppes, legendary leader Genghis Khan launched an ancient conquest that became the largest kingdom the world has ever known. Throughout their long history, Mongolian nomadic horsemen either waged war or faithfully followed their flocks through the harshest climates and most rugged terrain. Now after ages of obscurity, the Lord of the Harvest is beginning to call out a spiritual army from among these brave-hearted warrior shepherds who have a burning passion to reach the lost in hard places. In the midst of this end times movement and strategic area, Mongolian Missions is building an uttermost outpost, a training ground for specialized missionaries who in these last days can take the gospel to the most challenging and distant parts of the globe. Landmark between communist China and Russia, its emerging democracy is making her mark in the modern world as one of the fastest developing free market economies. Strategically located at the northern border of the 1040 window, where over 90% of the most unreached people groups still live behind closed doors. Mongolian believers are uniquely positioned to impact this final frontier. Director Mickey Kofer has a four-fold biblical strategy to move this missionary vision into reality. The first cornerstone begins locally with church planting. The second expands nationally by leadership training. The third extends beyond borders through scripture publishing. And the fourth is founded upon strategic endeavors that open doors for the gospel in closed countries. All four cornerstones of the foundation have been laid and are being built upon. Every sacrificial investment you give now will help establish an effective and enduring ministry, an uttermost outpost, a Mongolian mission that can reach out to the ends of the earth until the close of the age. Thank you for your faithful support all these years. That's your work. Um, we just get to be there enjoying 40 below zero and that kind of stuff. But uh, we're very grateful for the men you've sent to help us and all the labor that you've done through the years. And especially these guys putting us a nice heating system in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate it. Sorry for the old video. I did plug new pictures in. We didn't know we were coming home, really, so we just used the old video and put some new pictures in. <laughs> but I appreciate it. Thank you. Well, I have a message for you, I believe. Usually when I come home to America, of course, you're praying, Lord, uh, help me preach, show me what to preach. And I just said, say, Lord, what is the need of the hour? What do people need? And then um, something will start coming to mind from my devotions or somewhere, and I, it's pretty obvious the Lord is guiding me. And then I start praying for you guys, for whoever's heart, whoever will hear the message, that the Lord would prepare the message specifically for every ear that will hear the message. And I believe with all my heart that He does that, and that gives me confidence to ask you to eat of the Word of God right now as He spreads it out for you. Just see what the Lord wants for you. The Scripture says in Hebrews, let me tell you this, what kept coming to mind was patience. And when I began studying, this was what the Lord gave me. 
Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. The Lord does not want us to throw away our confidence in Him. That's what He's talking about here. Confidence is an assurance of mind in the integrity, stability, and veracity of another. It's trust and reliance in the Lord. This is what He does not want us to cast away. And it's very clear that if we do not have patience, we will cast away our confidence in the Lord. This is your message. In the Old Testament, Hebrew, we get very clear word pictures of patience. Twist in pain, long in spirit, gathered together. The three main thoughts, which is amazing to me that obviously tells us that patience is painful to twist in pain. It's also long-suffering. We have to be slow to anger and suffer long. It's also gathered together where the Lord says that He gathered the water together and made them seas and the dry land and called it earth. It's getting our minds right, gathering ourselves together is patience, according to the Old Testament. As we get to the New Testament, it speaks of patience in this way. A cheerful or hopeful endurance, continuance, waiting. To stay under, that is, remain or persevere. So we're looking at future. This thing of patience has to do with hope, which has to do with our future. And here's a scripture that wraps this up very clearly. It says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that doth so easily beset us, So he's talking about, you know, we have to deal with ourselves. We have to have patience with ourselves. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking, that's another Hebrew word, behold, is a direct definition of patience. So looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, That's the first definition of patience, is endurance. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So patience has much to do with our minds, much to do with fainting or quitting, and it has to do with running a race, looking ahead, patience, endurance, and, and understand that he's telling us that this life is a race. It's a conflict. It's a contest. When I was in Mongolia, they have a race called from sunrise to sunset. And at 50 years old, 51 or 2, I don't remember, but I thought to myself, I should run that race since it's in our town. I'd never run a marathon before, but... We're a mile high and we have to go over two mountain ranges. So people come from all around the world to run this race. And I thought, I should run this race and I'm going to win this race. And so I got online and I saw, how do you run a race? 
and it said run three miles a day. It had a whole plan, and I followed it. Then one day I had to run eight miles, and then the next Saturday I had to run 10, and the next Saturday I had to run 12, 14, right up to 20. So the day before the... The weekend before the race was Saturday. I ran 20 miles, and I said, I can do this. But I didn't read about you're supposed to take salt with you, and I just cramped up all over the place coming down the mountains. But anyhow, I ran the race. I came in eighth place, and in my group of old men, I was first. So anyhow, the reason I said that was it took mental endurance. It's like I'm running this race, and it's like, Wow, the last five miles was tough, you know, and it was going downhill, and I was cramping, and it was terrible, and I just kept remember, just keep running, just keep going, don't quit, just keep running, like Gimli, you know, just keep breathing, you know, <laughs> just keep running. So here, I like the way this guy says it. Patience isn't so much the quality that helps you sit quietly in the doctor's waiting room as it is the quality that helps you finish a marathon. So we need to understand Bible patience, what he's talking about. It is more than passive submission, just waiting. I think that's the way possibly we just think about, I need patience, I need to just wait. It's talking about active endurance unto the end, the perseverance which does not falter under suffering. It's the frame of mind that endures. God said about Abraham... They said, after Abraham had patiently endured, he obtained the promises. The writer of Hebrews said, We desire that every one of you do show the same diligence of full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promise. It has to do with diligence. It has to do with not being slothful, not being lazy, not being a quitter, but just looking ahead, pushing forward and continuing, staying under the burden of life, bearing your cross, going forward. This is just the testing time. We're on the little end of eternity. The disciples asked Jesus to tell them about the last days. And, and he says this. He says, they're going to lay hands on you. Um, they're going to put you in prison. You're going to be betrayed by your parents and your brethren and your kinfolks and your friends and, and some will be put to death and all men will hate you for my name's sake. And he gives them all this heavy stuff and then he gives one phrase to tell them what to do about it, to tell them what to do with it, how to handle the last days. He says, in your patience possess ye your souls. That's amazing to me. And, and he's talking about this state of mind, this state of being, you, your, nobody else can have patience for you. You are going to have to in, endure, hopefully and cheerfully endure if you want to possess, if you want to own yourself, if you want to own your souls. Your soul in the Hebrew, the words that's used for soul is mind, heart, and life. And its first word it says is breath, mind, heart, life, and spirit. So it's, it's when you don't know where your heart, your life, your mind is, you don't own it. When you haven't purchased it with cheerful endurance, it is a purchasing. You can never be at rest with yourself if you don't exercise this kind of enduring patience. You don't just leave 
or, or stop. Don't just stop, quit, give up, end it, die out, let go, uh, lose your composure, run away. Um, my sister-in-law just filed a divorce papers for my brother-in-law. It's unbelievable. Seven kids, you know. Um, she just she just quit. It means, you know, you have to remain under the load, bear your cross under life, you know, bear the trials, take the pressure, persevere, and you will purchase your soul, your breath, your heart, your mind, your life, your spirit. You know, I, I immediately, when I look at that definition of breath, I think, you know, these people, they're having panic attacks at night and they're just tore up. That's, that's your soul. That's your soul panicking. So we're talking really here about obedience. Obedience in patience so that the believer can have sanity in the last days. My, my daughter-in-law, years ago, I heard her say, she does a women's um, thing on the radio, and she said, um, yeah, I started having uh, this panic attack sometimes with my kids, and she said, I just told the Lord, I said, I, no, I'm not going to do that. And she started quoting scriptures, and she said that she was okay. But whenever that kind of thing happened, she just went to the Word and said no. You know, so that was interesting. I, I don't know where that came from. I just wanted to tell you that. So let me tell you about Mega. Mega's our, our pastor in the Hockle Baptist Church, and uh, we ordained him a year and a half ago. He came. He's a great study or a great preacher and just a blessing for the church. And the other day he got discouraged. About four or five, six weeks ago, he got discouraged. And nobody came to work men's work day, and it just kind of, it was the last straw for him. And he decided to just tell the church that he's praying about leaving so something had been working in his heart. And he told them, find somebody to preach for the next two weeks and, and I'm going to pray about whether I should stay here or not. Then he gave his complaints. Nobody comes to help around the church. Nobody came for work day. And my wife and I can't do everything. It seems like nobody's faithful. We're struggling in our lives. And, and I think I'm putting the church ahead of my family. And I'm, I'm tired of all the troubles in our little village. Little villages, you can imagine, the gossip and the talk and... and he was just fed up with the whole situation. He said, my family's always sick, my house is always cold, and we're just praying about leaving. And I can just imagine 10 years from now looking at the church and it being at the same place as it is now, and I don't want to waste my life here. It was rough on the church. It was discouraging. Some people got mad, but later I was talking with him and having getting in the Word and he just said, you know, I could so easily go to the capital city, start a business, and life would be so much easier. And I said, it, it would be, but there's a reason that pastors get a crown. You know, it's these things. You get a crown for this, being a pastor. And I said, brother, look at our ministry. We took us nearly 15 years to get a pastor. We worked with four or five men. The first guy, he came with all the right questions. He was awesome. He was the only guy in, that we knew of that was actually married and had wife and children. And then we're discipling him and we find out he's beating his wife. You know, so he couldn't be the pastor. And then the next guy, he, it's just one thing after another with four or five guys. And the next guy, what, his children were... He wouldn't study the Bible well, and he'd get up and tell us stories, and then his children were out of control, and so he couldn't be the pastor. And then the next guy we worked with, he wanted to 
get in the stock market and, and he didn't like the village that our school wasn't good enough and he just left us and so, so on and so forth. I said, Migo, we have you. You're our pastor. And, and so I just began to tell him stories like this. And I said, think about the factory. This, this thing looks good. We're winning souls. We're having people in here. And 48 kids got saved this summer. And this is happening. That happened. And our kitchen's amazing. And, and I just told him, you know, but how long has it taken us to get here? 19 years. <laughs> you know, it's just not that fast. It's not that easy. There's endurance. There's endurance. I said, we dug these septic tanks by hand with a bucket and a pick, and it took us a month to dig a 14-foot hole, you know, and so on and so on. And I said, we did four of them. I said, the fence posts. We dug it with a rod and a cup, and we put 400 fence posts around 12 acres, and that took us all summer. And we tore this building down. We got 40,000 bricks that we cleaned, and so on. And I just went on. I said, this stuff takes a long time serving the Lord is your whole life. And I said, what about the Sunday school material? We've been translating this thing forever. It's like finally we've got 72 volumes of Sunday school curriculum that will last the church six years and and uh, it cost us over $100,000 of getting this done and translating and printing and it's taken us probably 10 years. But now every church in Mongolia, there's 587 churches in Mongolia, they are getting a copy of this Sunday school curriculum. That will change this nation. You know it will change the nation of Mongolia if every teacher has their first curriculum. So, but it took us years and lots of money. So, so anyhow, I'm, I'm casting a vision. I, I wasn't even planning this. It was just happening. And I'm telling him about our Bible translation and this and that, 19 years in the Bible. And it's just... a uh, we finally be finished in two more years, but it takes a long time. So I said, Mega, um, Trina sent me a little story, and I want to read it to you. I said, it's called The Hope Experiment. It says this, During a brutal study at Harvard in the 1950s, Dr. Kurt Richter placed rats in a pool of water to test how long they could tread water. On average, they'd give up and sink after 15 minutes. But right before they gave up due to exhaustion, the researchers would pluck them out, dry them off, and let them rest for a few minutes and put them back in for a second round. In this second try, how long do you think they lasted? Remember, they had just swam until failure only a few short minutes ago. How long do you think? About 15 minutes? 10 minutes? 5 minutes? How long do you think? 15. How many? 10. 20. Nope. 60 hours. That's, that's not an error. That's right. 60 hours of swimming. The conclusion drawn was that since the rats believed that they would eventually be rescued, they could push their bodies way past what they previously thought impossible. It's amazing. It's amazing. Hope. Hope is amazing. So, then I read him this scripture. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth, uh, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So I said, Mega. So, you know, I hadn't planned this, so I was excited. Yogurt came to mind. I said, brother, 
What about your yogurt? Everybody loves yogurt in Mongolia. Everybody makes yogurt. So it said you get your milk hot and you put your four or five spoons in there and you set it over in the corner for a day or two and it's sour, then it gets solid, then it's preserved and it's, it lasts a long time. The milk is, is good now and it'll last you a long time. It said it had to have that time. It had to have time to work. It has to work. It's, it needed to work and have time. And so... So I said, you know, what's happening while this period of time, the, the Lord tells us what to do while these, patients, these trials, this thing's working. It says, if any man lack, lack wisdom, let him ask. So while the yogurt is making, you're actively waiting. You're asking for wisdom, how to put things together in your mind, how to deal with all this and let it happen. And the next day, you know, so he went on home. We prayed and he went on home. But he was a different man. Just the Word of God fixed him. That yogurt thing fixed him. You know, he saw what the Bible was saying through the yogurt. Then here's another story. Recently, actually right after Mega, some friends of ours came up from the city, which is a 16-hour drive, and to see us, and they're just destroyed. Their life is just, they're just so heavy-hearted. And now this, this couple is a couple that we had to our church back 10 years ago when they got or years ago 7 8 years ago when they got married I wanted them to just tell the church they got married <laughs> we're talking first generation believers i mean nobody in my church is married so i'm telling you need to get married and i had this this couple come up and just show on the sides their wedding and told how they got married and how they got engaged and and this and that and you wouldn't even thought it was a church service but it helped my church. And so, so this, is, this is how I met them and how they're musicians um, and they work for Campus Crusade. They're great folks. But they took a vacation to Switzerland. They're in Switzerland. They, they just went on and on about how beautiful it was and the, the gardens and the walls and the trees and the weather and the sun was shining and everything was amazing. They just said over and over, this was the greatest day in our life, the greatest time. And we're sitting in the Swiss Alps with our family and some, my sister supports us and it was amazing. And we got this Airbnb and we're having, we're having our first meal and the children finish before we do. They go outside to play. And then at five minutes later, we heard this something fall. So we ran outside, and there, there laid my nephew under this big metal statue that somehow fell over on him and crushed him. It was on his arm. They got it out from under his arm, off his arm, and they called the ambulance and put the boy in the car and was taking him down to the ambulance. And while they were going to the ambulance, he quit breathing and they brought him back and then he quit again and brought him back and they're praying and crying out to the Lord and the Lord brings him back and they get him in the ambulance and they keep him alive, get him to the best hospital in the world, the Geneva Hospital. The surgeons come out, grab him, take him in, go in there and he dies and he dies. And they were devastated. They were devastated. They were in deep anguish like really I'd never seen before. And here's what they said. I can't believe that God let this happen. How could God let this happen? We worshiped and prayed and He came back to life twice, but God didn't choose to save Him. They said, we do not like His answer. Remember, we're talking first generation believers. We don't like what He's saying. And what I'm saying to you is this is the danger of anguish. This is casting away your confidence, drawing back on the Lord. Uh, they, They... They weren't praying. They weren't reading their Bible. They told Trina and I that 
They just asked the Lord. They said, they stuck their hand out and said, we just asked the Lord, just stay away. Just stay away. I mean, they held their hand out. This is their exact words. They, they said, we can't deny Him. Where else can we go? He's all there is. He's true, but we don't want to talk to Him anymore. We don't want to be near Him. But we're afraid to shut the door of our heart completely. We're broken we have no peace with God and we don't know if we're going to serve Him anymore because how can we? And, and we haven't prayed to Him or talked to Him since the child died. So I'm praying while they're telling me this, Lord, how do I, what do I do? How do I talk to them? And, and just when they finished talking, all of a sudden just stories came to my mind. I just thought of my sister Sandy who gave her life for, for my dad. And I began to tell them about the grace and the story of, of my sister. And that's an amazing story. I don't know if I've told it here before. But then I came to Jonah, my son, and I told a couple more stories. And I wasn't even meaning to do this, but it was just like the Lord was bringing these stories out. I mean, I said, turn to John, you know, and I read this. I told them, you know, Jonah got drugged by a horse, my 12-year-old son. He got drugged, you know, half, half as long as this room or further. The horse was kicking. His foot was stuck in the saddle. And the horse kicked him, broke his jaw here, broke his jaw out, had to have a metal plate. And, and um, just a ball of blood, unconscious for weeks and then three weeks. And now he's okay now. He looks normal. His mind's right. Everything's good. But at this point, uh, you know, I don't know. 12, 15 years ago, this was where we were at. It took us 40 hours to get him. We're way back in the middle of nowhere on horseback. And so anyhow, finally we got him to Mongolia Hospital, trauma hospital. He's throwing up. He's peeing on himself, throwing up blood. And I'm in this trauma room by myself. There's no nurse, no doctor, no nothing. They're trying to force an adult neck brace on him. It was just a bad scene. And then they left, and then all night I'm there by myself with this boy. The next day we got him to Korea and so Trina and I are sitting with Jonah and then after a while I get to go to this little room and rest and then she'll go. So one time in the room, of course we're praying and trusting the Lord and calling on the Lord, our Father. And that, But I'm sitting in the chair and I said, Lord, is there anything I'm missing? Is there anything you want to tell me? Am I, am I, is there sin in my life? It's, it's you know... Would you give me something from your word? Would you please help me? Give me some, some help from your scripture. And I opened up. I don't normally do this. And, um, but this is what the Lord said to me. Then uh, when Jesus had lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him. And when I read that, it just like jumped out of the page. I said, Oh Lord, are you proving me? I said, I hope I'm passing the test, Lord. I want to pass the test. I... So he clearly showed me he's proven me. For he himself knew what he would do. And then I read that. I said, Lord, you know, you know what you're doing. It was this instant peace. You know what you're doing. Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. One of the disciples, Andrew Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and Two small fishes, but what are they amongst so many? And when I read that, there's a lad here. And I just said, oh, Lord. If you just knew Jonah, I said, oh, Lord. You know Jonah would have given his lunch. 
Jonah's the boy that, you know, as I said in the last service, if we had a big plate of chicken, which we get rarely back then in Mongolia, back then we would, when we lived in the tent, I mean, when it had a hailstorm in the summer, we'd all run out with buckets and catch it the hailstones, and then we had ice for Coke. We'd run to the store and buy a Coke. But anyhow, that's another story. So, so uh, I can't believe I said that. It's a very serious moment. But So, um, there's a lad here. I said, Lord, Jonah would have given his lunch. And, um, and then I read on, and, and Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sit down in number of 5,000. And I just thought, Lord, you're in control. You, you have, you're the God of order, and I trust you. And, and then I read this, and it's very personal time with the Lord. I'm just talking, begging. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, and when I read that, I just started weeping. I just felt like the Lord said, Thank you for Jonah. Thank you. And... And the disciple, so he gave, so he gave thanks, and he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that sat down, and likewise to the fishes as much as they would. And I said, Lord, you're in order. You got this thing. I trust you. It's, if you want to take him, you take him. If, if he's going to be mentally messed up, it's okay. Whatever is good with me, you, you're my father. And so the doctors just told me before I went in there that this boy has what we, you would call, I'm in Korea, he says what you would call shaking baby syndrome. This main accent of nerves is broken. And so we don't know how he may come out or if he will come out. So they said he, his, what they said was fragmented. His brain or this accent is fragmented. It's all broken loose. It's fragmented. So I'm telling the Lord that, and then I find this, and then I'm reading this, and then when they were all, let's see, and Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, the disciples of them that were sit down, and likewise the fishes as much as they would. Then when all were filled, he said to the disciples, gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And boy, I just felt like the Lord said, I'll gather up Jonah's mind. And he said, and, and I just knew he was showing me, many will be fed from this. You know, when everybody was filled. And it was just in my mind. I went to tell Trina all this, and I said, somehow many's going to be fed from this thing. And the thing was, was I went back to Mongolia. Trina and Jonah, after he came to, um, went back to America for therapy. And, and so I come back, and the, what happened was, I would been teaching like from creation to Christ that there's one God and, and I'm just bringing them to the Christ, telling them there's a deliverer coming, but I never told them about Jesus. I'm just building them up, the Abraham story, bringing them to Christ. And then I got home, but the week before his accident, I said, now next Sunday, I'm going to tell you who the deliverer is. We have an accident. We disappear for three months. So-called accident, right? And I come back and the people all come back to church, and I preached Jesus, and 21 of them got saved. Amen. So it was amazing. Many were fed. And then, but what happened was two days after this little event, Dr. Charles Keene from Bearing Precious Seed called me, and he has another ministry called uh, Company of... Uh, I forgot the name of it, but basically he's translating all around the world and we work with him in the Bible printing and translation. He helps us raise funds. So he called me. He said, brother, 
He said, after we talked a while, he said, I, I know we're praying and you're trying to start this printing ministry, but something tells me from this accident that, that pastors are really calling me and they're wanting to give funds and they're wanting to help you with your printing ministry. Something tells me many people are going to get the Word of God from this accident. So as the Lord just said, many will be fed. Many will be. So $250,000 came in. We bought all our printing equipment. So many were fed from this thing. So I'm telling this couple this, these stories, one after another after another, and they're monumental in my life. You know, they're sitting there, they're hearing. Nothing happened. They're in the same state as that right now. But later, the next few days, I realized, you know, this first generation of believers in Mongolia, they have no stories of endurance. They they don't have stories of God's deliverance from their fathers or their forefathers. They don't have parents that are saved. They don't have grandparents. They don't have anybody. They don't know anybody that's saved. They're just now getting saved in the last 20 years, 25 years. So there's no heritage there. So pray for this couple. But let me give you this. This is the framework of patience. So I tell you those stories just to understand that. So Mega, he needed patience. He just needed to understand. You just need to carry on. These people need patience. They need patience. Biblical patience to endure. Not cast away their confidence in the Lord. If you don't have patience, you're going to cast away your confidence in the Lord. Romans 5, 3 and 4 says this. It says, and not only so, and he says that in verse 3, but he's talking about verse 1 and 2 where he says, uh, we're justified, we have peace with God, we have hope in the glory of God. And he just... He's just um, rejoicing. And he says, and not only so, but we glory, which means rejoicing, in tribulations. We're excited about the future, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. We need the right perspective on how to view pressure, tribulations. That's what he's saying. We know how to view Problems. We know this is what you need to hear. We need to understand and know how to deal with our pressure, our problems. Pressure produces patience. That's what he's talking about. This pressure, you know, I've always heard, you know, don't pray for patience or God will give you tribulations. It's just not true. Patience or problems, pressure causes you to have patience. It doesn't give you patience. It may make you go kill somebody. I mean, I'm just saying, it's, it's, it's your action upon it. So pressure produces patience. And patience produces power. That's the experience. Um, and power produces pleasure. So this thing of experience, experiences power. That's why I'm saying uh, this patience produces power. When you have experience with God going through a trial and test, you're different in the next one. You have a greater power to say, oh, I know God's... Real, God's right, God will help me. And then this power of trust in the Lord produces pleasure, which that's what hope is. To, hope is to anticipate with pleasure, right? It's expectation, it's confidence. We have confidence in the Lord because He is our heaven. He is our ticket. He is our confidence is in the Lord. He is the hope of glory. He is our hope. So it's, He's our confidence. He is what we anticipate with pleasure. That's what hope is. So this pressure produces patience, patience produces power, and power produces pleasure. Now this wraps it up right here. Look at this experience. Look at the power of this experience. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail. 
because of him. Now this is the problem with big giants and problems. Our hearts get faint, weak, we fail, we quit, we run away, we hide. But David, not so with David. He had experience. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Can you imagine this kid? And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine and fight with him, for thou art but a youth. You're just a boy, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I caught him by the beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and a bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, saying he ha seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. And David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. What power is that? What power in this man? And what can you say to that power? Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. What can he say? This man's got it. He's got some power in his life. Look at Paul's perspective. We are troubled on every side, yet not, in, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. This is the right response. This is the correct perspective to tribulations, pressure, trials. He goes on to say this, For, we, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For, this, for our light affliction, imagine that, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, that's the key, this is things temporal, it's just this life, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Imagine that. It's working for us. This trouble is working something up for us and with us. And then he goes on. While we look not at the things which are seen. That's the key. But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. He's saying just put this thing in a balance. What do we see? Defeat in the church dysfunction in the family, death of a child. What do we not see? Exceeding an eternal weight of glory in the other side. What a perspective. What a perspective. That's hope. That's reality for the believer. Look at, look at Peter's perspective. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. He's made us born again, a new creature, unto a lively hope, a living excitement in the future by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's paid for, it's done, to an inheritance incorruptible. 
and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed, amazing, in the last time, wherein we greatly rejoice, amazing, though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness. It is heavy to be in, of course, all this life experience. It's heavy. I'm not belittling that. But it is little compared to the weight of an immeasurable eternity. And that's in everything. It's amazing. You are in heaviness through manifold temptations that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What a perspective. It's not that we're going to be praising and glorifying and honoring the Lord. Of course we are. But he's saying you are going to be praised, glorified, and honored because of what you've gone through. Your lifetime. So what do we do? What do we do? How do we persevere? Here's, there's probably a hundred things, many things you can find in the Bible. These are just some that stuck out to me. We pray persistently. Prayer is the key. Pray persistently. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So we're talking about patience here. We're talking about fainting, quitting. So pray. Call on the Lord. Stay with me. I'm losing a few of you. This is, this is what I'm saying you need to do. Pray persistently. So he spake this parable saying, There was in the city of judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in the city, and she came unto him saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because of this widow, this widow troubleth me. I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord says, listen to what this unjust judge says. He's not saying, I'm like this. He's saying, look, look at this unjust judge. And shall not, the, shall not God avenge His own elect, which cry day and night unto Him? They're praying, God's people are praying day and night. That's persistent. Uh, though he bear long with them, though that's the definition for patience, though he's bearing long with them in their prayer, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Meaning, we have to understand our speedily and his speedily. We want microwave, we want him to do this now. He is going to wait till it's perfect for you. Maybe your dad or mom or your son needs to get saved. And so he's not going to answer your prayer till next week because. Something else is more important. In the fullness of time, He sent forth His Son. There's timing for our prayers to be answered. But what He does expect is persistency with patience. So then he, the, what the last part says, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall He find faith on the earth? Lord, have mercy. Is anybody even going to be praying and even understand that knowing how to view their troubles are just going to quit? God didn't do what I wanted Him to. So first of all, Pray persistently. Just pray. Men aren't always to pray and not to faint. Next thing is love wholeheartedly. Ooh, my time is gone. I'm almost done. Love wholeheartedly. 1 Corinthians explaining about love. Love, the first definition, love suffereth long. That's the exact definition of patience. Love is about patience and patience is about love. 
Alright, the next thing says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Four exact definition of patience. Patience and love are, are right there together. Okay, love wholeheartedly. Pray. This is not hard. We, we pray persistently. We love wholeheartedly. Well, it is hard. <laughs> the Bible says it's hard. It's hard. It's to twist in pain. This is hard. Wait patiently, meaning long. Wait long. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. David's saying, I would have just gave up. But I believed to see the goodness of the Lord. The opposite of patience, I don't think is impatience. It's unbelief. It's really clear. Everywhere you see patience, unbelief. If you don't have patience, it's unbelief. It's unbelief. That's what I say. Lord, have mercy on my soul. Trust. I hate unbelief. I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to have unbelief. I don't want to faint. I don't want to... Um, be little faith. I don't want to be of little faith. I don't want to doubt. I hate those things. Um, that was a sidetrack. Trust completely. All right. Pray persistently. Love wholeheartedly. Wait patiently and trust completely. The end of the verse that we're talking about, cast not away, he goes on to say, Now the just shall live by faith. That's who we are. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. That's it. We must not faint. We must not faint. Lose confidence in God and draw back on God. But pray persistently, love wholeheartedly, wait patiently and trust completely. Let's bow our heads. Preacher, if you'll come, the musicians, I want to say something to your heart. Please, please shut your eyes. Give me that privilege just for, for a couple of seconds, couple, one, less than a minute. Some people are in constant physical pain and mental anxiety. It's just the way it is for some people. It's just hard. People are grieving because of loss. People have lost loved ones. They've lost things. Others are working long and hard and they're just wore out. They're just working and wore out. There's tragedy, distress, and misery in our lives. Some folks have been hurt and are struggling with anger and resentment. But don't lose confidence in your father. Don't lose confidence in your God, in your future. Don't lose confidence. Assure your mind that He can be trusted. This is important. He deserves our confidence. He's proved it. He can do it. Speak the truth to your heart. You can surely trust your Creator, my soul. Speak the truth to your heart. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. For ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. Many ask, will I make it in the last times? Yes, yes, yes. In your patience, possess ye your souls. Amen. Praise the Lord. And I told uh, Brother Mickey between services, pandemic, protest, politics, some people quit. But since that time, some new people have come. We've got so many new people. 
And I, you know, I just told him this was spot on, nailed it, perfect word that we need for both groups, those who haven't quit. So you're always in danger uh, if you're not careful. And those who are new who need to know, look, don't quit. Let's keep going, don't quit. And, and, and this is, you know, this has been so good because I uh, actually had a few more minutes. You know, we, uh, the first service, uh, we're inhibited by the fact we've got to allow the passing time. So we actually put an extra, you got an extra note they didn't get. But my bottom line conclusion was this, after hearing all his stories and all his testimony, enduring things come from not quitting. If you want something that endures and will be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ, well, that comes from not quitting. You've got to stand. Now, you can only stand after having done all, Ephesians 6.13. But after having done all, all you've got to do is stand uh, in order to win. So we're going to let the praise team send us out singing. Go ahead and stand if you would. And we're going to ask you that if you have, you know, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, if you've never trusted Jesus for eternal life yet, then come up here to the front, either while we're singing or immediately afterwards. And we'll have some, some of our altar counselors up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you. If you just need a word of prayer over something, if you want to join our church, if you need to be baptized, come up, let us know. You know, some meals are like cotton candy, and uh, they're gone in 15 minutes, and then, you know, you go from a sugar high to a crash. But some meals kind of stick with you. This is one of those sermons. If you'll let it, it'll stick with you. It needs to stick with you this week. So not, it is not just a good word for ministers and those in ministry. It's not just a good word for members. It's a good word for marriages. I mean, it's a good word. Thank you, Brother Mickey, coming and preaching to us.